Hey guys, welcome to our midweek service. I hope you have enjoyed participating and gathering with us for worship. And I'm loving this time that we have together where we can be together. I'm gonna encourage you to continue to engage in the comment section uh, below, share your thoughts, share your feelings. I love going back and seeing how people respond, not because I wanna see that you are listening or quiz you, but just because I think when we spend time together in God's word, we can really grow. And we, we're all coming from a different perspective, a different spot in our lives, different struggles, different joys. But I'd love to see what we're going through and, and how this psalm might be reaching you in this season. So feel free to comment in there. I know sometimes people feel like, oh man, the pastor's talking, I should stop. But really, this is, this is a great time to continue to engage as we gather this way digitally. And so I'm glad that we can gather. I wanna encourage you to share this post if you have any friends that you want to hear about it, go ahead and tag them. Uh, they can come check us out as well. But I, I really think this is a great way for us to spread the good news and to, to spread the good news of what God is doing even in this season. We're continuing our journey through the Psalms by, by touching on a, a psalm of penitence, a psalm of repentance, a psalm of confession. And it's not necessarily an easy one to talk about, and it's not easy to lean into your lives or to dig into my life and really talk about sin and our need for repentance. Uh, but it's my hope and prayer that we do that with grace and with love while also portraying the truth today. The truth is that we all have messed up. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that some of you respond the same way I respond when I mess up. I either try to... Uh, deny that it happened. Like, no, officer, I wasn't going 12 over. Surely your radar's broken. Or no, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to lift that off the scale at the checkout. Or I wasn't trying to take this from the store. I wasn't looking at that. I wasn't moving money there. I wasn't doing that. I, I try to deny wrongdoing because if I deny it, then someone might believe it and I won't have to deal with it. Or maybe you justify it. Like, yeah, I was going 12 over, but I have to go to the bathroom or I'm really late for a meeting or um, I've got a friend in the hospital and I've got to go hurry to be there before surgery or whatever. And so oftentimes we justify our wrongdoing or we lie to justify our wrongdoing just so that we don't have to deal with it. When we do something wrong, whether we're aware going into it or we're just in a haze and then we realize we've done something wrong. Rarely are we willing to confront it. Rarely are we willing to face the fact that, okay, I've done wrong. I was wrong here, and it's a big deal. Too many times we want to downplay it. We want to let pride get in the way and just, man, it's not a big deal. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have fudged on my taxes there, or I shouldn't have skipped out on that. We, we downplay our wrongdoing, but really our disobedience is a form of rebellion and pride. It's us saying, I really know better than these rules, than these standards. Now, I use driving a lot as an example for wrongdoing because it's easy to understand. Your speedometer tells you how fast you're going. Your municipalities tell you how fast you can go, max, in any given street, any given zone. And so it makes sense. If the zone is a 40 mile an hour zone and you're going 41, you're breaking the law. And all of us know you probably won't get pulled over for 41. Will it be 45, 47, 52, 58, 75? We like to push that limit and see, all right, maybe I won't even get caught. I don't see any cops up ahead. 
but our, our wrongdoing is wrong. And, and it sets a bad example for others, and it's blatant disobedience many times. Sometimes it's just carelessness. Like, I was jamming to this song, I had my foot on the pedal, and I just kept accelerating. I was going. And that's how a lot of us live our lives, is we don't pay attention to the little things we do wrong, and then those turn into bigger things that we've done wrong, and then those turn into bigger wrongdoings, and then we've developed this whole persona of lacking integrity and character. And that's not where we want to be. So tonight we're going to be in Psalm 51, and it's a story about climbing out from being at rock bottom. It's a story of true repentance and acknowledgement of our wrongdoing. And it's a great example for us to learn, how do I respond when I've disobeyed, when I've disrespected someone, when I've broken the rule, when I've stepped out of bounds? How do I respond to my own sin as, as I realize through conviction, through the Holy Spirit, through accountability from others that I have been engaging in sin? How do I respond to that? And so this psalm was written by King David, and it's a psalm of repentance, the penitent psalm. And it's written after he was caught doing something wrong. And you might have heard the story before. He was a king, and it was a time when kings would join their men. They'd go out to war, and they'd conquer lands to increase the kingdom so the king could have more uh, authority. He's over more people, more space. It's a big deal. And in that time, kings would go to war, except David stayed back. He was complacent, casual, lazy, distracted, proud, didn't feel like he had to go to war, so he didn't. And when he stayed back, this is in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, if you want to go read it, I encourage you, chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Samuel cover what we're going through today. Uh, so it gives you backstory and how David responds. So David sends all his guys out to war, and then he goes up to the rooftop, and he's just enjoying the view, the sunset. Uh, and he looks over at somebody else's house and he sees a beautiful woman and she's bathing herself. And so she's not wearing any clothes. He's not where he should be. And he sees her. And so he tells one of his guys, hey, go fetch that woman for me and bring her to me. And then he coerces her into having sex with him and then conceives a baby. She comes to him and says, hey, King David, I'm pregnant. And he says, oh, no. So he tries to cover it up by having her husband, who's at war, come back from the war. He's one of his top generals. And he says, hey, come back, lay with your wife, take a load off. Except this guy comes back and he says, no, my men are at war. I'm, I'm not going to go be with my wife when all my men are serving this kingdom, when all my men are fighting this fight. And so he, he has all this integrity and character and King David doesn't know what to do but he knows he's going to get caught if Uriah doesn't go sleep with his wife because then he's going to know, oh, my wife got pregnant while I was away at war. So David has plan B. He sends a letter to the other generals that says, hey, this man, send him to the front. Everyone lead up to the front. And then when Uriah is at the front of the battle fighting, everyone pull away from him and then he'll, he'll be killed. And so essentially murder by firing squad David sends Uriah off to die so that then he will take Bathsheba as his wife. And no one will know the wiser that David had uh, conceived a child out of his marriage with somebody else's wife. So we got a little sin issue here. David is a king. He's been described as a man after God's own heart. And he's committed adultery. He's, he's lusted after her. He had sex with her outside of marriage. He tried to con a man into coming back and uh, not fulfilling his duty as a general, and then he leads this man to be killed at war. 
uh, by David's orders. So he orders this man to die. And then he tries to cover up every wrongdoing that he's done. And we learn like along the way, as David's trying to cover up his wrongdoing, his disobedience, it just, it mushrooms up and explodes and it leads to murder, adultery, all these sins. Uh, and it leads to him getting called out. David, you were a man of God's own heart. You were a man pursuing God that God had chosen. And here you are caught up in your own selfish desires and your own lust. And we see how David responds. So we're going to read a couple verses at a time, and then we're going to jump back to 2 Samuel and then jump back up to Psalm 51 so that we can see the whole scope of the story as it plays out live. So let's read Psalm 51, uh, verses 1 and 2 with the prelude there. Psalm 51, to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. We'll pause there. So just in these first two verses, we see David's response. He's aware that he's aware that he's a sinner. And he, he wrote this after he had processed the weight of his sin, after he had seen the punishment of sin that the ripple effects of his disobedience on everybody else. And he writes this. So his, his first response to recognizing I've sinned is he turns to God. He says, have mercy on me, O God. And he turns to God and says, you are steadfast. Your love is abundant. Your mercy is abundant. So his first response to sin is, hey, I'm, I'm guilty. God, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you I did something wrong. But when he does that, he also notes that he knows God's character because he is a man after God's heart. He says, God, I know that you have steadfast love. I know that you have abundant mercy. So I'm asking you to blot out my transgressions, to correct my wrongdoing, because only you can. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. So God, I know I've done something wrong. I know you are abundant in your mercy and that your love for me is steadfast, that covers all of this that I've put us through. So would you clean me? So his first response is turn to God. His second response is, would you cleanse me from my unrighteousness? Would you set me free from this? Would you make this right? So I know who you are and I know what you can do. And I'm asking you to be who you are and do what you can do. Only you can do because you are merciful and you are gracious and you are loving. So you can. So I'm, I'm coming to you in my brokenness, admitting my sin, knowing that you can set me free from this. And so we think about when we do something wrong. Whenever I do something wrong, I, I try to either hide it from God. Like maybe God didn't see that sin. Maybe he didn't hear those words. Maybe he wasn't watching me that day. So I, I try to hide from it like David did in some ways. Or I, I try not to bring it up. Like, okay, I need to pray, but I want to pray about other things. I don't want to pray about sin. Rarely am I going to confess sin. And right now, it seems like there's so many other things I could be praying for. Health, prosperity, survival, support, direction. Why would I pray for forgiveness when I've got easier things to ask for from God? And so we, we have David's reminder here that when we're confronted with our sin, when we're aware of our sin, we need to turn to God first and foremost. Stop trying to fix it on our own. Like, Oh man, I messed this up. Let me fix it. I stepped out of bounds over here. Let me make this right over here. Let me go 
give extra food to the food pantry or write an extra check to the church and maybe God will have mercy on me. But David says, okay, God, I'm turning to you. I'm turning to your mercy, to your love. And I know that you can set me free. And then we see the rest of his response here in verse three. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret part. So David's third response here, yeah, he turns to God, he asks for cleansing, and then he, he says, that I, I know how serious this offense was. I know that I sinned against you, and that's a big deal. So I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to try to fix it myself. For I know my transgressions. I'm very much aware of what I've done wrong. And many of us, we're too good at this. We find ourselves in a shame cycle where oh, I'm, I'm, I'll never be good enough. I'm never going to be clean enough. I'm never going to be able to be good enough to present myself to God as a clean person. And my sin is ever before me is what David says, because he's aware of what he's done wrong. But he's also aware of who God is. Many of us get caught in that shame, like, oh, I did it again. I fell into sin again. I shouldn't have hooked up with that person. I shouldn't have gone to that place. I shouldn't have sent that text. I shouldn't have moved that money or taken that money or done whatever your vice may be. I shouldn't have done these things. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be able to escape this. I'll never be able to fix this. And in our shame, we break ourselves down further and further instead of taking that first step of turning to God and asking him to step in. And that's what he's, he's looking for. It's God, my sin is ever before me. Just because it's ever before us doesn't mean we shouldn't take it to God and let him cleanse us. Let him set us free. Let him break that shame cycle that we put ourselves in too often because he can set us free. We don't have to continue to break ourselves down and punish ourselves and hurt ourselves and step further into sin just because we don't know how to get out. Because the solution is right here. Turn to God. Ask him to cleanse you. And when you turn to God and ask him to cleanse you and you treat your sin as real sin, as serious disobedience, a serious offense against you, God, it's when we do those things that we're able to break that shame cycle that we put ourselves in. It's when we're able to turn to God and say, I know the seriousness of my sin and my sin is ever before me. And then he pivots and says, I've sinned against you and only you, God. I think that's a pretty key verse right there in verse four. It's, I've sinned against you and only you. We know the reality is he sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He he stole his, his buddy's wife and he and he slept with her. And he, he forced this young woman to sleep with him because of his influence, because he's the king. And so he's saying, surely I, I sin against those people. But the only thing that matters here, God, is that I sin against you. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. But I, I want to be held blameless in judgment. I, I want to be set free. I'm aware of my nature as a sinner. I was born in sin. I was conceived in sin. God, you know that I'm a sinner through and through. And no matter what I do to other people, that's 
that's not good for me to do those things, but I need to realize first and foremost, the seriousness of my sin is it's an offense against you, God. And too many times we try to fix worldly relationships before we're willing to talk to God about it. And that's where we're missing it. Or we try to downplay. Like, okay, yeah, I shouldn't have done that, but I didn't kill anybody. Or yeah, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have had that texting conversation with that girl, but you know, it wasn't physical. We, we didn't get together, so, and we're back to downplaying and then building this cycle of just, oh, giving yourself a little permission here, a little permission here. And we're sinning against our brothers, sinning against our sis- sisters, but the reality is we're sinning against God first. And if we're sinning against God first, because he set the standard, he set the rules, he set the goal, He's the only one who can set us free from that sin. So we should own up to it and recognize this was a big deal. I'm the chief at downplaying my disobedience to God. It's like, okay, God, sometimes comparison is the thief of joy. But when it comes to my sin, comparison brings me joy. Okay, yeah, I mean, I sinned a little bit today, God. But in reality, I didn't sin as bad as that guy. I'm not a serial killer, so... That's pretty cool, right, God? I'm all right. We're cool. But the seriousness is any offense, any sin, any disobedience, it's deserving of the same punishment. The wages of sin is death. Not the wages of these sins, not the wages of of these Ten Commandments, breaking the Ten Commandments, that's death. But any disobedience to God deserves death. And all of us deserve that death but there's good news as we keep reading. And in David's situation, he had been aware of his sin and probably feeling like, okay, I shouldn't do that anymore, but I might've gotten away with something here because now Bathsheba's my wife and yeah, Uriah's dead and we can mourn and celebrate his life. But at the same time, maybe I got away with it. And and he has the baby, or Bathsheba has the baby, and, and he's taken Bathsheba as his wife now because Uriah's dead. And he's, he's aware, but he's also not confronted with his sin. He's aware that he's done something wrong, but no one's called him out on it. And then the prophet Nathan shows up. And Nathan was a man that God used to speak to his people with his words. And that's what we see the prophets doing in the Old Testament. And Nathan goes to David, and he said, David, I, I got to tell you something. And he tells him a story. And the story goes kind of like this. He says, David, there's, there's a rich man who has a ton of sheep. He's got a lot of land, a lot of money. And there's a poor man who's just got the one sheep. And he's, he loves that one sheep. They, they share a bed. He takes care of it. He brushes it. He trims it. He feeds it. He waters it. Well, the rich man was having some guests over for dinner. And he was going to serve them some lamb. And so instead of killing one of his own sheep, he went to the poor man and he took that poor man's only sheep. And he killed it and fed it to his guests. And so David was mad. David said, really? That's, that's awful. That rich man needs to be punished. And he should pay fourfold what he took from that poor man. So he took one sheep. He needs to give him four sheep. He needs to be punished for this. That's not right. And then Nathan pivots hard and says, David, you are that man. And that's when David's conviction sits in. That's when David realizes I'm the rich man with all these sheep. And I went and I took the one sheep that I shouldn't have. I went and took a sheep that I didn't have access to that wasn't mine. I I had all these 
other sheep to choose from. I have all these riches. I have all this good stuff. So I want us to read the interaction that David and Nathan have in 2 Samuel because it really frames David's response in the rest of the psalm for us. So we're going to read 2 Samuel verse 7. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of your Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you, and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. So that's the truth. I've sinned against the Lord. So Nathan comes and he says, David, you're you're that man. And God knows that you've done something wrong and you did it in secret and you've been trying to hide it, but you're not going to hide it. You you didn't get away with anything. This was not a good thing. And there you see David say in his own words, I've sinned against the Lord, which is, he brings it back up in verse four, against you and you alone have I sinned. My sin is ever before me and I know my transgressions, but I've sinned against you and I've done this, this evil thing. And so God brings calamity on the house of David. God brings punishment and pain. David fasts and prays and and God says, I'm going to take that child's life. I'm going to take it because you've been disobedient. And so he fasts and he prays and he fasts and he prays. He says, please don't, please don't, please don't. After the seventh day of fasting, the baby dies. David picks himself up, washes, cleans, goes to the temple, and worships God. They say, how can you worship God right now? He said, I, I deserved a punishment. I'm still God's child. I'm still God's king. I'm still being used by God, and I need to mourn and grieve, but first I need to worship God because it's, it's him who I sinned against. It's him who has shown me grace. It's him who has poured his, his forgiveness on me, even though I experienced this tremendous loss and pain. But God said he was going to do it, and he did it. But God also said he was going to do something else. And so there in verse 14, Nathan replied to David after David said, I've sinned against the Lord. Nathan said, the Lord has taken away your sin, and you are not going to die. So yes, God knew this was a big deal, and God wanted David to know this was a big deal. But just as quickly as he brings the punishment, he brings the restoration. He said, you are not going to die. The Lord has taken away your sin. You've been spinning your wheels, trying to cover up one sin after the next, and it's just, it's exploded. So stop. The Lord has taken that away from you. He set you free, and you're not going to die. He's still got plans for you. 
He's still going to use you in big ways. And I wonder if you and I needed to hear that today, that, that God has taken away our sin. And that's a big deal. That's, that's something we don't often remember when you look at the way we respond to our own disobedience, the way we live our lives in shame, the way we hold on to the wrongdoings because we feel like we don't deserve to be cleaned from them. And the truth is we don't. But God stepped in and made it so we do. And so we see David's response as we keep reading in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So when he's aware of his sin, he turns to God and he says, God, cleanse me because only you can cleanse me. And then he says, God, this was a big deal. Against you and you alone have I sinned. And then this next part, will you restore me? Will you take all that I have broken and just make it new to create in me a clean heart? So with a clean heart, I can worship and I can praise and I can serve you. And restore me, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Would I know that you are the one that provides this and would I live the joy of your salvation? And what that looks like is I'm, I'm not going to continue to pursue after sin after sin. But instead, living with the joy of your salvation, I'm going to tell people how I've been set free. I've been made new. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Because I'm broken and I'm down and only you can lift me up. Only you can heal my spirit. So don't take away your presence from me. Bring to me the joy of your salvation by cleaning me like only you can. So bring restoration. And restoration makes us new. It sets us free. And, and for David, that typically meant, I've sinned. I need to bring a spotless lamb to the altar to be burned as a sacrifice. I need to make a burnt offering to the Lord. I need to pay to the Lord. But he's saying, God, only you can set me free. So I'm asking you to do that. And I'm going to write this song so that people for generations and generations and thousands of years can sing this song to you so you might set them free as well and be aware of our response to sin. So David hears Nathan say, the Lord has taken away your sin. David says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Cast me not away from your presence. Uphold me with a willing spirit. And that's what restoration looks like restore me, God. I did this one sin and then I covered it up with another sin and then it led to these sins on these people that we're all having to suffer through. Would you set me free and create in me a clean heart, O oh God? And that, that probably needs to be our prayer every day. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Start over. Can we have a reset, God? Renew a right spirit within me. Because what I choose to do is not right. What I have done is wrong. But only you can restore me. 
So would you do that? So I love how quickly grace enters into this conversation for us. I've sinned against you. I'm aware of the seriousness of my sin. And I just wish, personally, people would be aware of the seriousness of their sin. But too many times we get caught up in, oh, that's not a big deal. I'm, I'm not worried about that. I've got, I've got two children, and one responds to wrongdoing by running and hiding and crying. And the other responds by just continuing to do what was done wrong over and over again until you remove that child from the situation. And, and we do both things sometimes. We get caught in the shame cycle or, you know, well, it's, it's not a big deal. Let's move on. But the restoration that happens for both is let's, let's run from that, repent from that activity, repent from that life and be made new, be cleansed, be cleaned, be made new. In the New Testament, we see in 1 John chapter 1, it says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's a promise that we have still today. It's something that David got to experience as God restored him and restored the kingdom and gave him and Bathsheba a new son named Solomon. And they changed the name from Solomon to Jedediah because he's the one that God loves. And that's what it means. God loves this child. And then we get to see what God does through Solomon. As, as Jesus is from that line, as Solomon brings us Ecclesiastes and the songs of Solomon, and we've seen Psalms from Solomon, God uses that sin to bring new birth. And we see the rest of David's response. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar." So David turns to God, David prays for cleansing. David recognizes the seriousness, the weight of his sin. And then David says, restore me. And the last thing he says after restore me is, use me, O God. There's nothing I can do to fix what I've done, but would you use me to be a blessing? Would you use me to restore what has been broken, what has been lost? And would you make this new? Because you can't. God, if there was something I could do to fix it, I'd do it. If there was an offering I could make, a sacrifice I could make, I would do it. But that's not what you want. What you want is a broken and contrite heart. Because with a broken and contrite heart is tremendous humility. And with humility, God can use a number of things to change the world. With humility, we serve. With humility, we're a blessing. With humility, we, we make things new by being used by God in big ways. And so David is asking God to to make him new, to do a big thing, to set him free. And this is kind of a life or death situation for him. But for us, we have another promise on the other side of the cross. When we make this, this prayer, this request of God, he reminds us of what has been done already and how much it over it already covers. 
in Romans 3, just after Paul writes, everyone has sinned and the wages of those sin is death. We deserve death. But in verse 25, he says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So basically this cry, this prayer, this repentance is something that God brought to us through Jesus. And so David knew God can strike me down. God could say, David, I'm done with you. I had big hopes for you. I'm done. You're dead. But instead, God set him free. God restored him. And he had a broken and contrite heart. And God used that to build his kingdom, to draw people to worship, to respond with repentance. And that's what we get to do, except God has already covered a multitude of our sins. Every one of our sins, past, present, and future, he's covered it through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we get to see that promise that when we have faith in Jesus, our sins are covered, are taken care of. And we should respond with a broken and contrite heart and be made new. And when you do that, would, would you use me to teach transgressors your ways, to deliver me from guiltiness? And my, my tongue will sing aloud your righteousness. So God, as you set us free, would we respond in this way? By being used by you for big things. Being used by you to praise you, to worship you, to point others to you. Because others are going to know about the weight of my sin. Others already see the shame I've been living in. Others already see the things that I've done wrong. They've just been waiting for me to wake up to it. And so God, as I wake up to it, would you remind me that my faith in Jesus sets me free because he's the atonement. And you have been more than generous with me. So living in shame, being stuck in that cycle is not going to serve you well. So let's turn to God. Let's ask him to cleanse us and recognize the weight of our sin. No matter how big you think it is, it's bigger, but that shouldn't drive us to shame because the next step is restoration. And when restoration happens, God uses the least of these, the biggest sinners to save. God uses the biggest sinners to set free. And that's what he's going to do through you and through me as we pray this. And so as our response, I, I want you to really check yourself. Pray that God would convict you of the sin in your life or ask your community, ask your friends, where am I blind to my own sin? And be willing to accept the accountability that David was willing to accept from Nathan. And God will set us free. Let's, let's actually repent from our sins and recognize the freedom that we have through Christ. We have a, a reading plan that I want to do with you guys. If you'd like to join us, you can download the YouVersion reading, the YouVersion Bible app on your phone. You can access it from a website as well. We're going to put the link in the comments. It's called the Acts of Repentance, and we're going to spend five days looking at this deeper. What does it actually look like for me to do repentance, the acts of my repentance? And God uses changed people to change people in big ways, and repentance is the first step in that. So let's close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus, for setting us free. I thank you for using your word to set us free. And I ask that you would, for each one of us, no matter when we're consuming this, would you create in us a clean heart, O oh God? Would you renew in us a right spirit? 
Would you restore to us the joy of your salvation and uphold us with a willing spirit? So God, use your word to continue to refine and strengthen us. Draw us to repentance in your love and in your kindness so we'd be set free from our shame, from our sin, and more so used by you in big ways to be a blessing to others, to help them to be free from their sin as well. We thank you for Jesus, the grace you lavish on us through him, and it's in his name we pray, amen. Thank you guys so much for spending time with us for this service. We really hope you join us Sunday morning. We're kicking off a new series called The Pandemic Playlist at 10 a.m. Sunday, and we'll be back here with something special next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Y'all have a great week.